Um, how are we? Good, excellent, great. So last week we began a, a new series called um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it was based on a book, a book by Peter Scazzaro that I have a copy of here. And um, I introduced the series last week and explained that it brings together two concepts, two distinct concepts, but it literally forges them together. Um, That's what this book and this series is aimed at doing. The concept of emotional health, which is essentially how we think, how we feel about ourselves and how we act towards others, and links that with the other concept of contemplative spirituality, how we deliberately slow down our lives so that we can be with God and he can be with us. Both of these are significant on their own, but together, in combination, they can lead to a powerful and dynamic maturity and freedom for those of us who are trying to live as radical disciples of Jesus in this culture today. Um, By the way, if that's not you, if you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't call yourself a believer or a follower of Jesus, um, that's fine, I just want to welcome you. Uh, thank you for coming. I, I really hope that this talk, uh, whatever you believe, um, will be helpful in some way. Um, and if you'd like to talk some more, we'd love to talk to you about it. Um, Jesus himself described what this is about in a verse in Matthew, which says, Jesus said, and this is a, a, the message translation, this is a slightly more contemporary translation. He said, love the Lord with all your God, with all your passion, And all your prayer and all your intelligence, this is the most important, the first on any list. But there's a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and prophets hangs from them. So contemplative spirituality helps us to focus on the first, which is to love God well. And emotional health helps us to focus on the second, which is to love others and ourselves well. Which we can kind of only do if we do the first well. We can only really know and love ourselves if we know God. And if you missed last week's talk, you can get that on the website. In fact, I want to encourage us as a church family together to get the most, if you want to get the most out of this series and you want to grow in this area, which I really hope you do, then I would encourage, I would strongly encourage us to follow up these talks in some way. It's great to hear a talk on a Sunday, but there's more to it than that. This isn't just about information. Some of you will hear this and you'll be information, you'll be, you love good information, you love good teaching or whatever, and, um, and the information here is very good, but that isn't what this is all about. Because if the information comes without the Spirit of God to give us some revelation, some understanding of what God wants to do in and with us, then it's kind of just a bit dry. And so if you want to follow this up, um, at the very least, I would encourage you to um, just grab any talks that you've missed, which will be on the website. And there are always some reflection questions on these handouts, and the handouts will be also available Uh, as you download uh, the talk on the website. So do catch up online. As David said, some of the life groups are following up these talks with some more specific further reflection and discussion material, and that might be helpful. And lastly, um, if you really want to go for it, there's a couple of books that you might really want to invest in, one of which is the actual teaching book, which is on this side, and one of which is what David referred to, what what we call a daily office. That doesn't mean an office that you go and sit into work. That means a, a, a short and simple set of prayers 
Uh, we're going to come to that whole thing a bit later in the series and what that's all about. But again, if you're somebody who likes to just have something to read and pray through, um, that book on the right, which you can buy from Amazon, uh, will or other good bookshops, I suppose, um, will... Um, will really help you. So last week I introduced the concept and we looked at 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. We highlighted patterns of behavior, habits and practices that might suggest that if those are going on for us, that emotionally we have some growing to do and that some of our ideas about God might need a bit of challenging. Today's talk is called, we're gonna, today we're going to push straight in, today's talk is called Know Yourself to Know God. Today is about the concept of self-knowledge and knowing what's going on inside of ourselves. I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? As Chris has already said, some of us are going to experience a measure of healing. Some of us are going to experience masses of transformation as we go through this material. For some, a revelation will come, a light switch will be switched on and something will change. Something will, will help us to push into God and provoke a process by which we can change. Um, I want that for all of us, actually. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Breathe on this material as I speak this morning. Thank you that you're already here anyway. You know, as we've pushed into worship, we've met you and we've, ex- we've felt your presence. Now come and through your word, come and speak to us and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're diving straight into the concept of self-knowledge, which is the knowledge that each of us has about our own character, about our own nature, about our own emotions, about how our internal life is really working. There's a definition here which says we're talking about the knowledge of one's own sensations, thoughts, beliefs, and other mental states. You see, as humans made in the image of God, it stands to reason that how well we know ourselves has a direct impact on how well we know our creator. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes about the concept of the old self and the new self. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit, this is Ephesians 4, of your minds, and put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is reminding the Ephesian church and us that we are created to be the true image, the true likeness of God. And in order to experience the fullness of that renewal, which Jesus promised, the challenge is we've got to get rid of the old self, the old stuff, the stuff that, we, that isn't in line with who he is, the stuff that we kind of carry around with us that isn't really what God wants and who he wants us to be. And practically that can be pretty hard to do unless... We really know ourselves unless we know what's going on. This is not a new revelation. Throughout church history, this link between knowing yourself and knowing God has been recognised. Here are three quotes. A guy called Meister Eckhart was a German philosopher and theologian in the 13th century. He said, no one can know God who does not first know himself. Um, Another really well-known writer, St. Teresa of Avila, who was the lady that Mother Teresa named herself after, she said this, all, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. And lastly, a pretty well-known writer, St. Augustine, said, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. And so for some of us, this is quite a journey. And you're thinking, well, I, don't, I know myself, I'm pretty sure I know, I know you know. I'm, I'm talking about really, really knowing. 
Really a deep understanding. And in order to try and explain this, I'm going to tell you a bit of my own story. I told you some of my story last week, and I'm going to tell you a bit more today. As I described last week, emotional health for me and growing in this area has been a huge personal journey, probably over the last 10 to 15 years. And it started from a place of coming to understand who I was, not just who God had made me to be, which is really important, but just as importantly, what had gone on in my life which was stopping me from being all that God made me to be. I went into my 30s, I'm in my late 40s now, but I went into my 30s, I began to realise something wasn't right emotionally for me, that I sometimes really struggled, having, this is having grown up as a Christian and in church, I really struggled to connect with God. I found it hard to express deep emotions when perhaps I felt like I should. Like I remember when my grandpa died and I just couldn't feel anything. I really wanted to feel something, but I didn't couldn't and at certain times I found myself feeling very lonely very insecure I didn't really know what to do about it I couldn't put language to it I didn't understand it and in fact I didn't really know what it was and how to express what I was feeling and for me growing in this area involved quite a journey I talked to a counsellor I prayed I did some reflecting I did some journaling Uh, I became more aware of my emotions I shared with trusted friends I did some more praying I brought things back to God as they came up and I heard from God some specific points. And when I felt like God said something, I wrote it down. And then I kind of went around that cycle. Even over the past seven years since coming here, I've had a number of Sozo appointments with our fantastic team. Each one has been really precious as God profoundly met me and powerfully touched deep and wounded and broken parts of my life. Now, I'm not standing here to say I'm completely sorted or healed. I don't think that's true. My family don't, certainly don't think it's true. But I have made significant progress. And I have learned to recognise when something emotional is going on for me. And I'm able to take some action and bring it before God. So at the start of all this, I became aware that I had experienced certain things in my childhood, in my early adulthood, which had had a profound emotional effect on me. And which I was hardly aware of at the time. I mean, I could remember the events happening, but I really had no idea how they made me feel Or rather, perhaps I wasn't in touch with any of the emotion around them. Somehow blocked. I've realised that one of the deep wounds I experienced growing up was a sense of what I would now call abandonment. The fear of being abandoned. Of being left on my own with no one to care for me. I don't mean that I was abandoned as a child. I wasn't. I wasn't abused or neglected or anything like that. My parents loved me and cared for me as best as they could, as much as they could. But as I said last week, for various reasons, emotionally... They weren't able to give me everything I felt I needed. And I can remember one or two specific events which I'm going to tell you about. You see, between the ages of 4 and 11, we lived in a semi-detached house next door to adjoining another family from our church, um, the church we were part of. And in fact, what we did was um, we knocked a wall, a hole through the wall under the stairs and created a doorway so that we could go in and out of each other's houses. Um, It was kind of like an early experiment in commune, I think. Um, It was really fun for us kids, because especially in the holidays, we'd, you know, go and play and hang out, and it opened up vast hide-and-seek possibilities. Um, (laughs) On most Tuesday nights, the other family would host a life group, a very big life group, actually. They called it a house group, in their house. It was kind of the powerhouse of our church, spiritual growth-wise. And loads of people, maybe upwards of 25, 30 people would come. They had a really big lounge. Um, and they would uh, meet there, and they would grow in their faith. Um, this is in the um, early to mid, 70s, mid to late 70s. And my parents were part of this, and they would sort of help to lead it. 
And as kids, we'd go in, in for the first part in our pajamas, and uh, we'd enjoy the worship and the singing, and then we'd have to go off and put ourselves to bed. And I can remember on several nights, lying in bed in my house next door, listening for the house group, but feeling really lonely that my mum and dad weren't in the house with me. Now, they were connected, and if there had been a problem they, or a crisis, they would have obviously been there. But there was no crisis, there was no problem, they were just doing house group and so they weren't available to sort of tuck me in and comfort me and I remember I recall nights of just crying for my mum and dad to come and they didn't come now they were unaware of this I never told them and they certainly didn't set out in any way to wound me but this contributed to me developing just a feeling of rejection and loneliness it's just one of the memories I've got that came to affect me. Fast forward three, uh, several years later, I went off to university. I can remember my first three weeks at uni, living on my own, away from home. You know, you'd have thought it would be amazing, but I can remember every day coming up the hill back to my hall after lectures and just kind of really wishing and hoping that I'd see my dad's car. He used to drive around the country for work, you see. So it was every possibility he could pop in. And I just remember thinking, oh, I wish he'd be there. And take, me, uh, and take me back. And uh, he didn't until about three or four weeks in when he did by arrangement. By then I'd kind of got to know my housemates and you know, my roommates and I didn't really want to go actually. It was fun. And lastly, I already mentioned last week that I was in a relationship at uni which wasn't particularly healthy or helpful. And uh, I brought all my own insecurity and my unrealistic expectations into it. And I can remember when we broke up, I, did, I just didn't know what to do. I have a very vivid memory of going to my room in the house we lived in, climbing into bed fully clothed, curling up and just crying. And despite having really good friends and great housemates and living a relatively normal life, I had these moments that I can remember where I just felt so alone and abandoned, tapped into this wound. Now, I'm not telling any of you this. I'm not telling you this to make you feel sorry for me. Okay, I have reflected on all these experiences. I have forgiven all the people involved. I have brought it all before God and in, in a wonderfully healing way. But I am telling you these examples to try and show you how becoming aware of the emotions that we have felt, or in many cases haven't felt, we've just buried for years, is an essential first step in, ident- in understanding our past and identifying the old self so that we can indeed bring it to Jesus and throw it off. I had no clue at that time what was going on for me emotionally. I really lacked the insight needed to grow. I mean, I knew the verse in the Bible that says, never will I leave you or forsake you. So I knew in my head that God was there for me. But somehow in those deep moments of stress or anxiety, I experienced a deep feeling of loneliness. Because of this wound I was carrying around, I couldn't connect properly with God or others. So, for example, when Joe and I, who were happily married, would have the occasional disagreement in our first few years, of course, all my fears and insecurities would leap back to the front of my mind. I would need so much reassurance from her and affirmation. She'd just be keen to, like, let's just forgive and forget and go to sleep. It'll be fine. For her, it was just a minor conflict to be resolved. But for me, all of a sudden, I was right back to that place in my childhood. All those feelings flooding in. I was that lonely, wounded, abandoned child again. And I didn't know what to do about it. And Joe, sometimes if it was particularly late at night, Joe would suggest, look, we can agree to disagree and we can sort this out in the morning. But for me, that was never enough. I always felt I needed to get to the bottom of it now, sort things out now, make myself feel better now. I have, by the way, checked that she's okay with me saying this to you. Um, 
I, in fact, she wrote it for me. No, she didn't. Um, I, would, I would sometimes try and use the Bible even to coerce her into dealing with it. I'd say, you know what? It says in the Bible, don't let the sun go down on your anger. She would say, I'm not angry. Just want to go to bed. <laughs> and it is, that's, a, that's an appropriate biblical verse. But I was coming from a place of deep woundedness, which wasn't her fault. Do, do you get what I'm saying? And so it wasn't until I really understood how my past had affected my present and I'd really worked through my emotions and what I was feeling and I expressed them to God and I'd invited him in to heal the wounds that I really experienced the freedom and growth in my own emotional health. And many of us do that. Our emotional health and our well-being is influenced by the experiences we've had. But often we're blissfully unaware of how those things have affected us or just how disconnected from our emotions we feel about them. So much so that it really impacts how we think of ourselves and how we treat others and how we relate to God. I want to talk a little bit about emotional intelligence. Oh yeah, there you go. I told you last week that I had written that verse out. 1990, that's a little bit from I found my journal here. And uh, that's a little bit from it. And I was telling you last week that I wrote that verse for the Lord so he could read it, Philippians 4. (laughs) Let's talk about emotional intelligence. Um, What I mean by emotional intelligence is the capacity to be aware of... Oh, let's jump back a minute. The capacity to be aware of, to control, and to express one's emotions. And I'm sorry, if you've got notes, there's a line missing on here. And to handle, it should say, interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. That's a lot of long words, isn't it? Basically, it's about knowing how you feel and being able to relate to others and how they might feel. I'm not sure that my parents' generation and their parents before them really recognised this concept. It wasn't taught in school for them like it is now. It wasn't part of their culture. It wasn't a done thing to express your emotions in general terms or to try and describe the impact on your life. And of course, we're talking about generations that lived through some very, very difficult times in their history when you just got on with it. And yet, God has created human beings to feel a wide range of emotions. Now, researchers have classified emotions into eight main families. Here's a rundown of them. You've also got them on your sheet. There are loads of ways of describing emotions, but that's a fairly good, broad spectrum. Anger, sadness, fear. Enjoyment, love, surprise, disgust, and shame. Culturally, for many people, they can't or don't feel the freedom to recognize or express these emotions within themselves. Now, that could be for a number of reasons. Maybe it's a deep wound, like I was describing, that's so painful, it's just caused you to bury everything and cut off. Maybe it's just a learned pattern which you've taken on board from the other significant people in your life. Or maybe you grew up in a church culture where they believe that Christians don't really have the permission to think about or name or express their feelings openly, especially the negative or the challenging ones. And that emotions are just not to be trusted. You know, you might feel fear or anger or disgust, but it certainly don't have the permission to talk about it openly or respond to it. And when we don't express what's really going on, that is going to affect us. When we deny ourselves the right to acknowledge and express pain and loss, it's going to have an impact. And so when that becomes something we do year after year after year, can you see how we become less and less human? We actually just turn into an empty shell. 
Maybe if we're lucky with a smiley face. The truth is God is an emotional being. God feels things. Here's just some examples in the Bible where God is described as having emotions. Genesis 1, God saw that it was good when he looked at creation. Genesis 6, God regretted that he'd made man on earth and it grieved him. Exodus 20, God says, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Jeremiah 30, the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he's executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. And Jeremiah 31, I've loved you with an everlasting love and therefore I continue my faithfulness to you. God is not afraid of or distant from any emotion. Jesus as well was fully human and expressed a full range of emotions. Here's some, just two or three examples. Jesus began to feel sorrowful and troubled, it says, in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark 3, it says he looked around at them with anger and he grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And also the positive ones were there too, Luke 10. Jesus was full of joy. And so if God can feel emotions and express them appropriately, then so can we. We were made in his likeness, and part of that likeness is to fully experience and express the emotions that humans were created with, from incredible joy to deep pain. Even our bodies were designed to respond physiologically to the way we feel about what's going on. What, what is it telling you when you feel you have a knot, when you can sense a knot in your stomach? What is that telling you? What about if you feel like you're shaking or trembling, or your heart rate is elevated, or even just you've got a headache? Often it's our, our bodies know how we're feeling, even before our minds can recognize it. And we need to pay attention to all these emotions, especially those difficult ones, because quite often we'll find that we have an unconscious rule that says, oh, we don't do these kinds of emotions. We don't do fear and grief and sadness. We don't really talk about what's going on in our family. In his books, Gazzara says this, I'm going to read you a quote. It says, one of our greatest obstacles in knowing God is our own lack of self-knowledge. So we end up wearing a mask before God, ourselves and other people. And we can't become self-aware if we cut off our humanity out of fear of our feelings. This fear leads us to unwillingness to know ourselves as we truly are. And that stunts our growth in Christ. I wonder what the masks are that we are wearing. And we'll all be doing it. When we look at the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, there are three key ways that he was tempted by the devil. It's a really good little outline of the same three powerful ways which threaten all of us in terms of the kinds of masks that we might like to wear when we want to try and pretend to be somebody we're not. Each one in its own way screams, God's love for you will never be enough. You are not lovable. You are not good enough. And yet, as Jesus proved, that doesn't have to def- none of that stuff has to define us. And in fact, God's love is enough. And in Jesus, we are good enough. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13, it says, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. And then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. To which Jesus answered, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone. You see, Jesus hadn't done anything in his ministry by this time. Seemingly, he'd spent 30 years in preparation with 
Honestly, not a lot to show for it. He was hungry. No one believed in him. No one really followed him. I mean, what kind of contribution had he made to the world? What a loser. Have you ever felt like that? Can anybody relate to that? What's the first question you often ask when you meet somebody new for the first time? It's what do you do? What do you do? Our culture asks us these questions all the time. What contribution have you made? How have you been useful? How successful are you in your life, in school or college or work or family or finances or in church or in relationships? Let me read you a quote from a thinker called Thomas Merton. He's a Trappist monk and the writer of the bestseller, Seven Story Mountain. And he talks, talks, tells this story about his life. He says, a few years ago, a man who was compiling a book on success wrote and asked me to contribute a statement of how I got to be a success. I replied indignantly that I was not able to consider myself a success in any terms that had a meaning to me. I swore I had spent my life strenuously avoiding success. If it happened that I had once written a bestseller, this was a pure accident due to inattention and naivety, and I would take very good care never to do the same thing again. If I had a message to my contemporaries, I said, it was surely this. Be anything you like. Be madmen, drunks, of every shape and form, but at all costs avoid one thing, success. I heard no more reply from him, and I am not aware that my reply was published. (laughs) It's so easy to find our worth and value from earthly success. And yet, we don't need to, because there's God's inexhaustible, free love. Available from the Father, available through Jesus. Available through the Spirit. The Bible passage goes on. The devil takes him then up to a high place and shows Jesus in an instant all the kingdoms of the world in a sort of vision. And he says to him, look, I'm going to give you all their authority and all their splendor because it's all mine. It's all been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. And if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus says it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil tries to tell Jesus, you are a nobody. You don't have anything. Look at what everyone else has. Look at what you could have. Get some stuff. And our culture, again, makes a massive deal about the things that we own. Did you know um, the stat for 2016 is that the UK spent £21.4 billion on advertising? That was in 16. It's gone up since then, invariably. An industry which is dedicated to convincing and seducing all of us, and particularly the younger generation, into buying the latest branded toys, branded clothes, and technology. Even as adults, we're often measuring ourselves up through comparison, aren't we? Who's got the best figure? Who's got the most money? Who's got the most comfortable life, or the best house, or the highest salary, or the best perks? Who's got the best looking partner? It's me, by the way. Sorry. Um, de- defining ourselves by what we have or by what we are worth is so tempting, but ultimately futile. Because in the eyes of God, nothing, nothing can change what he thinks of us. I am his precious child, whatever I do and whatever I own or don't own. He loves me so much and it's got nothing to do with any stuff that I've got, any possessions I have. Did you know, by the way, I'm his favorite. <laughs> oh, and so are you. Yeah. <laughs> Temptation three, see, and it went on this, this uh, passage. The devil then led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, 
Throw yourself down from here because it's written that he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they'll lift you up with their hands so that you don't strike your foot against a stone. They'll catch you. And Jesus answered, it said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And quite simply, you know, some of us are addicted to what other people think of us. The temptation for here was for Jesus to do something that would make people believe in him. Show them a miracle. Do something publicly. Make a spectacle. At this point, he was still publicly invisible with no particular, I suppose, from a marketing agent's point of view, no particular worth or value. Many of us place a high value on what other people think of us. What do I say in this conversation? What school should my child attend? What, should, should I tell that person that they have actually hurt me? What kind of career path should I look for? Who should I date? When people compliment us, our self-image soars. And when people criticize us, or we think they do, we're devastated. True freedom comes when we no longer need to be someone special in anyone's eyes, except in Jesus' eyes. And of course we are. For me, my identity all through my teenage years was in music. I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to play in a band. Um, I was leading some worship in the CU and I was at university and I was kind of known for that. And a guy came to me and he said, Nigel, you, um, you're a great worship leader, but there's a bit too much of you and not enough of God in what you're doing. I remember being completely devastated, but he was right. I remember before I joined the Vineyard Church, my sister was going there. It was a small group and my sister showed up and, and, um, and I, this conversation was reported back to me. She said, oh, my brother, he, he'd be really good here. He, he would, he's looking for, he kind of needs to get into a church. And, um, oh, and he's a really good key, keyboard player and worship leader. And somebody went, oh, we need a keyboard player and worship leader. He's got to come. Go and tell him to come to our church. And Andrew, who was the pastor, said, no, 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 no. That's not why he should come. He should come because, we don't, I don't care whether he's a keyboard player or worship leader. He, we should come because God's bringing him. And this kind of conversation made its way back to me. And I was really impressed. And a little bit gutted, but mostly really impressed. And actually, God did speak to me really clearly. Because for me at the time, I was hiding behind that mask of being, hey, I'm the guy who plays the keyboards up the front. I've got a friend in another church who actually still calls me Nigel the Bouncy Keyboard Player. <laughs> All of us are hiding behind masks. You know, for me, I had to make a decision that I wasn't going to be about music in my life. I was prepared to lay that down and do something else. Because actually I was more interested in just being with my father God and doing the things that he was calling me to do. And I realized I was getting a certain level of identity from what I did. From, from the, the skills that I had or whatever I was able to do, the popularity. Some of us, many of us, were hiding behind the masks of performance or possessions or popularity. And, when, and, and that's quite hard, isn't it? I was just thinking about the whole thing about selfies. We love to take selfies, but we don't really want to bear our true self, do we? Do you remember when they had that campaign on Facebook? It was a, one of the girls' campaign where they were doing no makeup selfies. Do you remember that? And, and all the, many of the ladies I know were like, okay, I'll do it. Okay, here it is. And there was a, for a good cause and everything. But, the, you know, it's quite a hard thing just to be able to put an unfiltered picture of yourself up on the internet isn't it we don't necessarily always want to be real i remember asking this question to myself if there was no one else nothing else 
If I had no stuff, no home, no possessions, no career, effectively no life, just me on a desert island, would my relationship with Jesus be enough to sustain me? That's a really challenging question. Because at the time, the answer was definitely no. The temptation to hide behind the mask of performance or popularity or possessions is so strong. And yet all God is doing is inviting us to come and be our authentic selves. And for some of us, for many of us, that might mean learning to navigate our emotions. To not be afraid of them, but actually to deal with them. Jesus was so secure in his father's love and in himself that he was able to withstand enormous pressure, not the least in that passage we've read. Being secure in he was and knowing his emotions, for example, Jesus did a bunch of things. He disappointed his family. You know, his mother and his brothers and sisters wondered if he was out of his mind. You know, Jesus disappointed his hometown community. He went to Nazareth. He told them, I'm the Messiah. And they tried to push him off a cliff. Jesus disappointed his close friends. The disciples had projected onto him this completely different kind of Messiah than what he was going to be. And once they realized this is all going to end in tears with death, they kind of melted away. One even went against him and stabbed him in the back effectively. Jesus disappointed the crowds. They wanted a revolutionary leader to overturn the Romans. And he disappointed the religious leaders who simply were just disrupted in their lives and their thinking and their theology by his constant challenges. Jesus wasn't selfless. He wasn't just giving himself away. He knew his own value and he knew his own worth. He didn't just simply kind of abandon everything of himself just for others and deny his own needs and feelings. He wasn't like that. On the other hand, at the same time, he also wasn't selfish. He gave his life out of a love for others and from a place of having this incredible loving relationship with his father. So we can say about Jesus that he had a mature and a healthy true self. True self. And he invites us to do the same, to be our authentic selves. And that's something all of us need to be pursuing. There can be great pressure on us to live a life that's not our authentic self, not our true self. We can feel the pressure to fit in and to conform. Sometimes that might, sometimes to do this, we might have to really understand what we're feeling. I remember um, a guy called Pete Gregg who leads the 24-7 prayer movement. I remember hearing him speak at a training conference for uh, children's work leaders, which is what I did at the time. And he was describing the process that happens when young people grow up in the church. The church in general, the church at large. And he said, you know, what happens mostly is that as young people grow, they, they really have a sort of, they have something they really want to express. Something that's, that's a bit out there. Maybe it's a bit creative. Um, and often what happens is when young people grow, they are faced, depending on the church context that they're in, they are faced with a decision about whether they're going to either suppress the emotion and the creativity that they've got in order to fit in with the church, or walk away from the church in order to express who God's made them to be and who they are. And that's a really difficult challenge. That's a really difficult challenge. I mean, we strive to be a place here where young people can do both, where they can express themselves within the context of the church. And actually, it's not just young people. All of us need to reflect on this. How close is your true self to the one which you allow most people to see? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and show us how big that gap is? How real are our emotions? What masks are we wearing? 
What clothes are we dressing up in to kind of hide who we really are? What emotions do you need to find ways of expressing for yourself? Who are you trying to keep it together for? Who are you afraid to disappoint? What are we really feeling? Is God really big enough to handle all that? The answer, of course, is yes. What truth do we need to reflect on today? There is an invitation to start to remove the false layers that we are wearing in order to reveal our authentic self, to awaken the seeds of our true self, which are deep within and which long to come out. This isn't easy. It might even feel like a battle. Because there are powerful forces that would seek to keep us all under wraps. But God is in this. He's in this for each of us. Jesus says in John 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and my father will love them and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. The God of the universe comes to make his home in us. His glory is revealed. The spirit has been given to empower us and we are free. With his grace, we can be the freest people on earth. And so as I finish, here's four very simple keys to start working this through for ourselves. Simple, practical steps that will help us live faithfully to our true self in Jesus. The first one is to pay attention to our interior world. And probably the best or even the only way I would suggest is to do this through silence and solitude. Time alone to help us listen to ourselves and listen to God. And I have found, and I don't do this every day at all, but I try very hard to do it regularly. But just taking a few minutes of quiet, just to stop and allow myself to experience the full weight of my feelings, just to process what I'm actually thinking and feeling. For me, it's about being centered. I do it by journaling. It just helps me, but there are other ways of doing it. Maybe you like to go for a walk or sit in a quiet place or go and find some beautiful place outside. Whatever it is that helps you get in touch not just in touch with God, but in touch with you. It can be really helpful. Number two, find trusted companions. Find people who can do this journey with you, who can walk with you and be honest with you. If you don't have anybody, pray. Ask God. People who won't pressurize you to keep on living a life that actually isn't your own. My trusted companions have been leaders and friends and mentors. People, some of them have just been in there for part of the journey. And others have been there throughout. It's essential though. If you're looking for community, if you're looking to find a place where you might be able to make friends, then as Chris said before, Life Group is a great place to start. And our Life Groups are kicking off right now. Thirdly, deliberately move out of your comfort zone. In a dying to your false self and allowing your true self to emerge and experiencing some emotions for the first time in a long time, well, that can be a bit scary. Allowing ourselves to give or receive a compliment, for example, that might be a big deal for some of us. Being in the presence of conflict might be alarming for us. I personally, I can't stand conflict. It just makes me afraid and scared. But, you know, but sometimes it's just, it's it's the reality, it's got to be done. Um, Asking for help might feel like a failure sometimes. Disagreeing with somebody might, just even thinking about, I'm going to disagree with that person, That might bring on major stress. All examples of how we need to deliberately move into a different space, move out of our comfort zones. We might initially feel on the edge. We might feel afraid. But the question to ask is, am I living faithfully to the life God has asked me to live? 
I, for example, as a church leader, have realised that it isn't possible to simply keep everybody happy. Much as I personally would love to. As I said, conflict is, I hate conflict. I hate it when people disagree with me or even think anything of me. But as a leader, I have to be responsible for the whole congregation, the whole church. And sometimes decisions might mean that individuals feel hurt or upset. And that's really hard. I don't relish it. I don't enjoy it. I don't set out to hurt anyone deliberately. But I am learning that you've just got to push through these things. And for me, that means moving out of a comfort zone and into a stretch zone because I'm just trying to be who God's called me to be. And lastly, pray for courage. Pushing through your comfort zone and becoming your authentic self might meet with resistance. People may treat you differently or react if you change. Maybe they might even try and tempt you to make you to change back. It can be unsettling, which is why you'll need courage and you need to have God with you every step of the way. But remember, facing up to some of this stuff means doing something that you have never done before in your history. Sometimes it means challenging patterns which have been in your family for generations. And so it's bound, to, it's, it's bound to need a little bit of courage. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is with us. And his power will help us grow. And Jesus is here. And he says, I'm really for you. And if you push into this stuff, if you partner with me to do this and face up to some of these emotional things, I can really help you grow. Why don't we stand together? And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. I've gone through a lot of information there. But we really, as I said at the beginning, we really do trust that the Holy Spirit is in this. And the reason that we're doing this series is because we, all, we think that we've all got things to learn here. Everyone's got something to learn from this. And so Holy Spirit, would you come now and bring the revelation that we need to hear from you? This isn't just about wise words. This is about the Spirit of God coming and dealing with stuff that for some of us has been buried so long. So Holy Spirit, come. We welcome your presence and we lay ourselves before you. And why don't you, if you feel that you want to do this, no pressure. But if you feel that this is something that you, the way that you want to respond, maybe just open your hands out and uh, maybe keep your eyes closed. And it's just a simple way of showing God, I'm, I'm open. I'm, I'm here for anything you want to do. And uh, as I said, there's no pressure. It might be that now isn't your time to do this. But if you sense that God is speaking to you or if you sense anything resonating from today's talk and just tell Holy Spirit yeah I, I, I want that I'm open and Holy Spirit we welcome you here hmm. I feel like the Lord wants to lift apathy off of some of us for some of us we know that these are areas we need to push into but we just for whatever reason either can't or haven't. Some of us have got used to and even comfortable with the wounds and the pain that we're carrying around with us. And yet God says, no, I want different from that. For some of you, it is just a case of, it is just a case of stepping forward into this. And I just had this sort of feeling of kind of like, 
walking into a different zone, into a different space. And of things just flying off us. I don't mean, I don't particularly mean demonic things. I'm not, I'm not trying to get heavy about it. But I just have this sense of sort of apathy and of complacency. And the, the sense was that, you know, some of us felt like we were in a battle. And as we walked forward, apathy and complacency and heaviness and woundedness and brokenness just said, well, if you're going there, I can't stay. And they just flew off. And so I don't know if that resonates with anybody, but I do want to invite you to come and make a physical response to walk forward and come and just, we've got a space here and we'd love to pray. And if you feel like this is just something that God is talking to you about, it's may, it may not all get fixed today, but it's a case of saying, you know what, there is something here and I need to respond and trust that God will do his bit. And if that's you, um, I'm going to invite you to come. Uh, and just come stand at the front. And we would love to pray for you. Because God is here. God is here. So if you know that you have emotions or wounds or stuff, and you just know God is speaking to you about getting free of them, about getting in touch with them, and you want to do something about that, then may I invite you to come. Come now. And let's have some people from the church. Thank you, guys. Let's have some other folks. Mm to come and pray for these. Come straight down. Other folks from the church, come and pray for these folks. Bless you for being brave. It may just be that you're feeling things that you haven't felt before and they may feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And that may be God speaking to you too. Yeah. Let's have some folks from the church come. We're going to do men praying with men and ladies praying with ladies. And also, guys, those of you at the front, just take a step forward with you so there's a bit more space if anybody else wants to come. Because God is doing stuff here. Bless you. Holy Spirit, we bless you what you're doing. He's not, he's not done yet. Maybe for some of you, just even talking about emotions brings up a feeling of anxiety and stress. It makes you feel uneasy. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Maybe you just weren't brought up that way. And this whole topic is just makes you feel... A little bit on edge and queasy. And again, I would challenge you that if that's you, maybe this is your opportunity just to say, okay, God, I don't fully understand it, but I'm open. What else? What else? What do you want to do with me? What do you want to do with me? Can we have one or two more women to pray, please? So we bless you. Let's have our worship guys come back and just play as well. Play gently. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work here and your presence. Come and bring revelation. Revelation of who you are. Revelation of how good you are. Revelation of how you want us to respond to you. We love your name, Jesus. We bless you. We thank you for the work you're doing. Maybe you're even out there and you just don't know that God is speaking to you. You know, the most powerful and the safest place to be is in his presence. Maybe just even in worship in his presence. So maybe a way to respond is to do that. Just as these guys leave, maybe you want to do that.